gathered here, Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to be in your presence, God. I do pray, Lord, that we recognize, understand, realize that uh, we know who is in charge of all things, Lord. We trust you. Our hope is in you. So, Lord, uh, speak to us this evening through your word. Be glorified and magnified as we seek your face in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you <clears throat> this evening, I want to invite you to open up to uh, a chapter of Jeremiah that probably you are familiar with, at least one verse, and uh, may be on your fridge somewhere or on your wall in your room. As we look, we remember Jeremiah, as we study the book, Jeremiah is not divided by chronology. Jeremiah is divided by topic. In this section of the writings of Jeremiah, deal with uh, God speaking to and dealing with false prophets. And so as we look here at Jeremiah chapter 29, we're going to see God's answer to him and or to them. And as God is reaching out, he's going to make proclamations to the captives. Jeremiah is going to write a letter to those who have already been taken as slaves. And as he's writing this letter, he's going to spell out to them that some of the things we've been discussing for quite a while, and that is that there is a way of life and a way of death. And so he's going to spell those things out for them and then describe for them what is life in captivity supposed to look like. We may want to pay uh, close attention to Jeremiah 29 for the upcoming years, the years uh, ahead of us in the climate that we're in, the events that are going on with the pandemic, uh, the stuff going on in the unrest within our nation. Uh, you know, whether or not we see ourselves as existing in or dealing uh, with uh, um, judgment or, or however your view may be, whether we're in judgment or, or on the cusp of judgment or what have you, we may soon find ourselves in a place where the advice that Jeremiah, Jeremiah writes to the captives is going to matter to us. Um, as the world grows increasingly more hostile toward men and women of faith, um, there are definitely a word, there's a word here in Jeremiah for us. And for our hearts to be focused on the things that God wants our hearts focused on. Let's look. We begin in Jeremiah 29 verse 1. It says, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He gives us the timing in verse 2. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, and the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. So we're under the second exile. If you remember, Jeconiah is a king who only rules for three months. Zedekiah is set up after him. Zedekiah is going to rule for the final 11 years of Judah's time until uh, Jerusalem is utterly destroyed. And so Jeremiah is writing to these guys, surviving elders, captives, those who were taken into exile, and uh, he has some information to give them. It says that the letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So he's saying, here's who it's given to. The people who carried the letter, these are people who were friendly to Jeremiah. It also reminds us that Jeremiah had friends in high places. So guys who were under the authority of the king who had been placed, Zedekiah, <coughs> um, that supported Jeremiah's ministry as the prophet uh, to the people. And so they carry this word into Babylon to those who are in, in exile. And here's what the letter said. It said, verse 4, 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now there's some things we need to consider here. We need to consider this reality, right? That ultimately in their history, God was still in control. God was in control of what was taking place. God was in control of the fact that at least a certain percentage of the population of Judah had been taken into slavery. You notice what the Lord said. You are the exiles whom I have sent. If you remember, uh, whether it was last week or the week before, we talked about the Lord saying, it was the exiles whom, who were the chosen ones. Because those who didn't go into exile were the ones that were going to face stricter judgment. Where the people would have thought, we weren't slaves. We didn't go into slavery, so it's better for us. That was not God's view. God's view was, the people that I'm going to use to bring back into the land are those who have gone into slavery. So the Lord was at work. Hopefully it's encouraging to us because sometimes we can look at our world and think that there is chaos reigning and that God is not in control and that the Lord doesn't know what's going on. And how are we, you and I, going to manipulate the circumstances around us to accomplish once again a balance in the structure of power in our land? And I don't know whether we can or, or can't do that. But I think what God's word to us tonight is, he's still the one. He's God of COVID. He's God over Black Lives Matter. He's God over the political climate. He's God over the elections that are coming. He's still God. He's still king. And nothing happens in this world that doesn't pass through his hands. He's not God wringing his hands wondering what he's going to do. He is a God who is in complete control. We, his people, need to be a people who say, Lord, I need you to speak to me. What is my part? What do I do? What can I, what can, how can I be a part of your purpose for such a time as this? You remember the message to Esther, right? If you have an opportunity, read the book of Esther. In the book of Esther, the name of the Lord is not going to be mentioned one time. But the fingerprints of God are throughout the story of Esther. As Esther and Mordecai find themselves being uh, um, a part of God's purpose and plan for his people at that time. And so we see that plan, that purpose going forward. We still have to understand that God's purpose and plan is still moving forward for us today. Now here's the question. The question that I have, you know, we long to be an example of Jerusalem. In the Bible, if we look at the metaphors of Jerusalem and Babylon, Jerusalem is the city of God, the city of peace, right? So we, wanna, we want wherever we are to be like Jerusalem, the, uh, uh, a nation ruled by God, right? One nation under God used to be part of a pledge that people would say in this land. So we, we had this ideal. This is our goal. We want to be Jerusalem. But there are times where God takes his people from Jerusalem and he puts them in Babylon. Babylon is a metaphor for that city which is in rebellion against God. And no matter whether you are in Jerusalem or Babylon, God has a plan for you and a purpose. And that's what this letter from Jeremiah to the slaves in exile in Babylon, the city that symbolizes rebellion against God, is that place from which God is going to call his people. So we want to understand the message that the Lord is going to deliver to them. He says he's going to tell them how to live in captivity. And I think that's a message maybe we need to hear. How to live in captivity. How do we live in a land that is marked by rebellion against God? So this is what God's telling them, right? He's telling them how to live. How, to, how shall we function? Thus <laughs> says the Lord of hosts to those I have sent to exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 5, build houses and live in them. 
Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives, have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and don't decrease. So the Lord is giving instruction to his people in exile and he's telling his people in exile, I want you to build houses. I want you to establish communities. He says, I want you to plant crops. That's being a part of what's going on in the land in which you live, right? Plant crops, build houses, have families, increase, do not decrease, be a part of the things that are going on around you. Now, when he calls them to be a part, he doesn't tell them to become like them, does he? He says, build your houses, have your families, grow your families, increase, don't decrease. Grow. It's the opposite of giving up. It's the opposite of putting your head in the sand. It's the opposite of just going to a mountaintop and asking God to swoop down and take you away. He's calling his people to engage in life in the city of rebellion against God. Be a part of life in the city. Be a part of the things that are going on. Listen, verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city. Now that word welfare, the ESV translates it welfare. Your new King James or King James Bible will say peace. The word is shalom. Shalom means more than peace and it means more than welfare. Shalom means wholeness. So he's saying seek the, the wholeness. That includes welfare and peace, right? That seek the good, if you will, of the city, the blessing of the city. He doesn't say seek the destruction of the city. He doesn't say to gather together in militia and fight against the power of Babylon and take them down because the Lord told them, I put you here. Now I want you to engage. I want you to pray for the welfare of the city into which I have sent you as exiles. You are my imagers in Babylon. That's what God's telling the people. You are my imager. So, so be a part of the welfare of the city. Seek the welfare of the city. Look at the next phrase. Not just seek the welfare, seek the wholeness, right? The shalom of the city. Then what else does he say? Pray to the Lord on its behalf. Is there ever a time we're not supposed to pray for the land in which we live? No. So we pray for the land. We pray for our land just as they were to pray for theirs. He said, you're a slave in Babylon. Pray for its welfare. Pray for the wholeness of the city in which you live. Pray for the wholeness there. For in its shalom, you will find shalom. In its peace, you will have peace. In its welfare, you will have welfare. So pray for the peace of the city of Babylon. It's a pretty incredible idea. How am I supposed to live as a captive in a land that has changed from the city of God to the city of rebellion against God? Well, I'm to build my family. Take care of my people. Be a part of what's going on around me. I am to engage in the wholeness of the city. That the city would be whole, would have shalom. Now the best way for a city to have shalom with God is for the city to know God. So God has sent these people, these exiles, as imagers of God's purpose and plan in the world, and they are to take that imaging into the city of rebellion against God and image forth who he is. That is still our job today. 
The great commission that the Lord gave was to make disciples, to share the good news of Christ, to image forth his glory, that we are lights. Isn't that what the gospel says? Are we supposed to take our light and hide it under a bushel? Where do we put our light? Put it on top of the mountain, right? Put it out where everyone can be drawn. Jesus Christ said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. So as imagers of God, called to be imagers of God in a foreign land, in a hostile land, the Lord is calling them to care about the welfare, the shalom, the peace of the city. Now he goes on in verse 8. He says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams they dream. Anybody been on Facebook lately? Anybody seen any of that? Dreamers of dreams, visions of visions. Interesting. The Lord here to those who were sent into exile, he says, look, don't let your prophets, your diviners deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie they are prophesying to you in my name. The Lord said, I did not send them. The scripture tells us that we are to test the spirits. You remember? To test the spirits. God calls us to be like the Bereans. What set the Bereans apart? They receive the word with all gladness and then search the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. Whatever God does, whatever God sends, whatever God brings will find itself in accordance with what God's word says. We ought to be good students of the word of God, understanding what the word of God says so that we might know. Otherwise, how are you going to know a Jeremiah from some of the fellows we're going to meet in a moment? Jeremiah's message was not popular. Jeremiah was not loved by the people. Jeremiah was not heralded as a great orator, great speaker, somebody that everybody should emulate. But he was God's prophet. He gave God's message. It was not a patriotic message. It was a message of judgment. It was not a message that said, God's going to bail us out of this one. But all the other prophets, the message was, God will bail us out. God will bail us out. And the Lord said, I'm not bailing you out. I'm going to send you into a foreign land. You're going to be imagers for me there. And after 70 years, I'll bring you out. That was God's message. How do we, as God's people, know if, if they flood the TV networks and, and YouTube and Facebook with all kinds of messages that are all different, how do you know which ones are from God? It certainly isn't by the most likes. It certainly isn't by the most views. It certainly isn't by how many people attend that church. We will know God's prophet because God's message through his prophet is going to line up with God's word. But Paul gives a warning. He says, in the last days, men will become lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. And they will heap up for themselves teachers that will scratch their itchy ears. People who will tell them what they want to hear. Look, that's no different than the time of Jeremiah. What did the people want to hear? God's going to deliver you from this mess. He's going to carry you through. You will not be taken captive. The, the bad guys, Babylon, they're not going to win. What was God's message? Babylon, the bad guys are going to win. You're going into captivity and I will bring you through it and out of it in 70 years. 
We want to be good students of the Word of God who don't just receive a message because we like it or don't reject a message because we don't, but who line up that message with the Word of God and say, Lord, is this you? Is this your word for me? What do I do? Here's the truth. God's call for his people is not ever going to change. He's going to ask you to be imagers, whether you're here in victory or you're there in defeat. Because he wants you to increase your family. How are we going to increase our family as believers? We're not going to increase it by hiding under a rock or wishing it would all go away. We're going to increase it by being the men and women God's calling us to be. With the message that God has given us to bring. That we might call men everywhere to repent and believe. To put their hope in Christ. Because no matter what happens, eventually Babylon's going to become Medo-Persia. Medo-Persia is going to become Greece. Greece is going to become Rome. What do we learn from that? No kingdom lasts except God's kingdom. We are to be those who will herald his kingdom. For the king has come and he will return. The king will come again. Don't listen to those who have a false message, who are filled with false doctrine. Doesn't matter how popular it is. Doesn't matter how good their worship team is. Doesn't, and none of those things make any difference. What matters is what's the message? Is this the message from God? We need to be certain. We need to know. For the danger is we don't want to be listening to someone that God did not send. We want to have ears to hear his message. How does the seven letters to the seven churches end each letter? How does it end? Let him who has ears do what? Hear what? Hear what the Spirit is saying to whom? The churches. Let him who has ears hear. Isaiah the prophet said that of the nation of Judah, who we're reading about now, that they didn't have ears to hear. They had their fingers in their ears. Right? And he said, you go ahead. Who will go for us? Isaiah says, I will go. Here am I. Send me. And so the Lord says, go, Isaiah. But hearing they won't hear. Seeing they won't perceive. And they're not going to turn to me and be healed. They were headed toward judgment. But God still sent a faithful prophet to bring them the word. The word is always available. So the promises of God will come to pass. These things are going to happen. Don't listen to the false prophets. Look at verse 10. For thus says the Lord... Here's God's plan for them. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back. 70 years. Daniel chapter 9 basically begins with Daniel saying, you know, I was looking at the prophet Jeremiah and I realized that 70 years are determined for this people. And so he begins to pray. God, forgive us. The time for our return to the land is drawing near. Exactly what Jeremiah said. Exactly what the Lord gave him to deliver. You're going to be there for 70 years and then I'm going to bring you home. Then I will bring you home. So the Lord says, this is what I want you to know. You will be there. It's not a short visit, right? 70 years is not a short time. Daniel's going to go into the land as probably a young teenager. Maybe he's 13 years old. Maybe he's a little older than that. I don't know. But when the time comes to the end after serving two kingdoms that didn't stand, right? Babylon and the Medo-Persian Empire. 
After serving both of those guys, he says, the 70 years is at an end. How, how old is he? If he was 13, he's 83. If he's 16, he's 86. That's not a short stay, right? It's a generation. It's someone's lifetime. Someone's lifetime. You're going to spend in this place, the Lord says. I want you to know it's going to be 70 years, but I will keep my promise. I will bring the nation home. All of history is moving toward a climax. Do we understand that? All of history is moving toward the establishment of the kingdom of God. We, we have a study for end time. It's called the study of, of uh, eschatology. Our eschatology. How is it that all of history is going to wind up with Jesus Christ on the throne as king? Book of Revelation, the book of Daniel. These are scriptures that, that give us indicators of those last days. And if our interpretation of Daniel chapter 9 is correct, then we are saying that there are seven years that aren't fulfilled in the 70-year prophecy of Daniel chapter 9. We call those seven years in premillennialism, we call that what? Tribulation period. Paul would write in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that those days wouldn't come without there being a falling away first and that the man of sin one day is going to stand in the holy place and declare himself to be God. Jesus spoke of that as the abomination that makes desolate. Daniel called it the abomination of desolation. At the midway point of seven and a half years, there will be, for that period of time, a one-world government with a one-world leader who has taken a conglomeration of ten toes, ten nations, and risen to the top of it. And he's the guy pulling the strings. The Bible gives us several prophecies about him, but he's going to be somebody like Antiochus Epiphany. A leader that came up out of the Alexandrian period, out of the Greek period, out of the, the uh, legs of bronze. We're going to see this kingdom that comes from Alexander the Great. It's going to break into four guys. Daniel talked all about it. Four kings are going to take that kingdom. One of those, one of those groups... A fellow's going to rise up. His name was Antiochus Epiphany. He stood in the temple that was in Jerusalem and declared himself to be God. He sacrificed a pig on the altar and brought about what we know in history as the Maccabean Revolt. All of those things happened in the 400 years of silence after the Old Testament prior to the coming of the New. So we see that there's going to be another character like that, the Bible, coming in the end of days that's going to lead us into the return of Jesus Christ as king. You can read about it, Revelation chapter 19 and 20. That's the day Jesus comes back as king. As a premillennialist, I believe that Jesus Christ is going to call his church home. I believe in the book of Revelation, you have the church mentioned for three chapters, and then suddenly the church doesn't come up again. Gone. Where'd she go? Was a pretty prominent part of Revelation for three chapters. And then she was gone, and then she's back. The bride of Christ returning with him. I believe that Thessalonians teaches us that there will be a rapture of the church. Jesus Christ will call his church home. And that is given to us so that we would not sorrow as those who have no hope, but that we would put our hope in Christ, that we would be looking for his return, but that we're not living so that he gets us out of here so we don't have anything to do. We have something to do. Aren't we supposed to image forth Christ until the day he calls us home? For sure we are. We have a responsibility. This is eschatology, all of history moving to a climax. Is that climax tomorrow? Maybe. Is it climax a year from now? Maybe. Maybe. 
Is it the next election or the one after that or several after that? I, don't, I have no idea. I do not know. I know that Jesus Christ may return at any moment. And so Paul said there is a crown for us, each one who has loved his appearing. How do we love his appearing? Do we love his appearing by staring up at the sky and praying, God, deliver me from this crazy mess? Or do we love his appearing by doing what he said? What did Jesus say? How do we love him? He says, if you love me, you will keep what? My commandments. Did he give us a commandment? Is there a specific commandment that Jesus gave to the church? For sure. What was that command? We call it the great commission. Go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. That means, that word literally means every race. Every ethnicity. Go into the world and make disciples and keep doing that until I call you home. That's our job, right? Even if we're in captivity. Even if we're living in Babylon, just like it was their job, be imagers, and in 70 years, I'll bring you out. There's a climax to history, and that climax is coming, and we look forward to the day when I see the king. But when I see him, I want to be like all the parables Jesus told. When he started his parables, he would say, the master went away for a long time. You remember? He told a lot of them like this. And then he said, and then the master came back when nobody was expecting it. You remember? And then there was a reckoning. What was the reckoning over? Our stewardship. What did you do with what I gave you? The job I gave you to do. Are you doing it? This is the thing that we want to be doing. So Jeremiah, in the same way, looking to the people, he says in verse 11, the Lord declares, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your peace, welfare, your shalom, plans for your peace and not for evil, to give you what? A future and a hope. Yeah, all history moving Toward the climax, Jesus Christ is king. The kingdom of God will never end. We can't do it apart from him. We need him. We need him in our day-to-day. -day. We need him to run our government. We need him to make the earth everything that it can be. So we look forward to that, and until we see his face... We are imagers. So the Lord says, look, I know my plans, the plans I have for you. The plans I have for you are for your shalom. It's more than your good. It's more than your welfare. It's more than your peace. He has plans for your wholeness. What will make you whole. They are not for your destruction. The word for evil is the word ra. It means evil, can mean catastrophe, carries the idea of being destroyed. God's not trying to bring a catastrophe to your life. They said, I'm a slave. How can this not be a catastrophe? The Lord says it's not a catastrophe. It's for your wholeness to make you whole. I have a future for you. And you have a hope. That's an important message, isn't it? And as, as important as that message was for the slaves in the exile, it's still an important message for us today. Do I know that God didn't speak that to us? No, he spoke it to the exiles. Doesn't mean it doesn't have application to us today. Our wholeness, not our destruction, there will be a future and we have a hope. So we hold fast to that. He says now in verse 12, then, then you will call upon me. Then you will call upon me. 
and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You know, Jeremiah has already said a few times to Jeremiah, stop praying for the people, stop praying for the people, stop praying for the people. You remember? But the Lord says to the exiles, to the ones everybody thought were doomed, he says to them, look, you're going to call on my name, you're going to pray, you're going to come and pray and I will hear you. And you will seek me and find me when what happens? When you seek me with all your heart. Let me tell you another way to say that. When you seek me with a whole heart. With a whole heart. The Bible teaches us to be careful about a divided heart. Right? To have, be careful about a di divided. The Bible tells us in Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel who was in Babylon while Jeremiah was in Judah. And Ezekiel wrote this in Ezekiel 33:10, "You, son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus have you said, surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us and we rot away because of them." Remember the exiles thought they were the losers. But what did God tell Jeremiah? The exiles are the winners. The slaves are the winners. They're the ones that I have a plan for, their purpose. They're going to they're going to make it. But they think we're, we're rotting away. How then can we live? What was Jeremiah's message to them? Build houses, plant gardens, have families, live. Live amidst the people imaging God, being imagers of God. How can we live? So Ezekiel, the Lord says to Ezekiel, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Now listen, he says, turn back from your evil ways. Why should you die, O house of Israel? Turn. What's the path of life? Repent and believe. Turn from your wickedness. And you, son of man, say to your people, the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him who transgresses. And as for the wickedness of the wicked, he will not fall by it when he turns from his wickedness. The righteous shall not be able to live by his righteousness when he sins. Though I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, yet if he trusts in his righteousness and does injustice, none of his righteous deeds will be remembered. But in his injustice that he has done, he shall die." He's saying that you say you're a righteous man, you're a good man, but you do injustice, you're not righteous, and your righteousness cannot save you. The righteousness of man is filthy rags. Whose righteousness do you need? So the Lord says, I will take your heart of stone and give you what? A heart of flesh. It's a work that God will do. You are there for your wholeness. You will find me when you seek me with your whole heart, undivided heart, your restored heart. Not because you're standing on your righteousness because you are holy, but because you are standing in mine. The wicked man who cries out for the righteousness of God he will be able to stand. The wicked man who repents of his wicked ways. Jesus said, two men came to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, very righteous, very moral, keeper of the law. One, a tax collector, very unrighteous, not a keeper of the law. One beat his breast and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, and left that place justified. The other said, Lord, I thank you that I'm better than that guy. Same message that Jesus brought. You have Ezekiel telling the exiles. Jeremiah telling the people, you're going to find the Lord when you call on him. When you seek him with all your heart. Verse 14, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore you, 
your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. I'm going to bring you back to the land. I'm going to reconstitute you. The nation will be reborn. And the nation was. God fulfilled the promise that he gave them. Now that proclamation is a proclamation to the captives, the way of life. Plant, build, live, grow, pray for wholeness, seek the Lord with all your heart. God will carry you through and bring you out of exile. That's the proclamation to the captives, the way of life. The rest of Jeremiah 29 is a proclamation to the captives, the way of death. Verse 15, because you have said, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, thus says the Lord, concerning the king who sits on the throne of David and all the people who dwell in this city. Now he's talking to the exiles about the people in Jerusalem, the king who sits on the throne, <coughs> the, your kinsmen who did not go out with you to exile, the people that the exiles thought were the winners. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am sending upon them sword, famine, pestilence, and I will make them like vile figs that are so rotten they can't be eaten. I will pursue them with the sword, famine, and pestilence, and I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse, a terror, a hissing, a reproach among all the nations that I have driven them. Why? Because they did not pay attention to my word, declares the Lord, that I persistently sent to you by my servants, the prophets, but you would not listen. The Lord says, look, here's the message to the captives about the ones who aren't in captivity. They're going to suffer under the sword, under famine, and under pestilence. They find themselves under God's judgment, not because of some random choice or event, but because they also were given the word of the prophet, but they would not heed the prophet. They wanted to fight. The Lord said not to fight. They wanted to fight. They wanted to battle because you would not listen. Let him who has ears to hear How'd it go? Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The message came to them all. Everyone did not respond to the message. Some went into captivity and some stayed behind. The Lord is saying, listen, these guys who stayed behind, they wouldn't listen to my word. They listened to the word of the false prophet. Listen, verse 20. Hear the word of the Lord, all you exiles. Remember the letter sent to the exiles, not to those in Jerusalem, whom I sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Again, God says, I sent you. You're going there. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Koliah, Zedekiah, the son of Maaseiah, who are prophesying a lie to you in my name. Prophets that were false, saying things God did not tell them to say. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. How will we know the truth from a lie? God said through the prophet Jeremiah, you will know this is what's going to happen. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he will strike them down before your eyes. Because of them, this curse will be used. So eventually the exiles will say, as a curse, the Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. That sound familiar? But wasn't there a story about Nebuchadnezzar and fire? So Jeremiah writes a letter. He says, these false prophets are going to be cooked in the fire. What about the true prophet? What happens to them? What will happen to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
They went in the fire. They come out of the fire. God says, you're, this is how you're going to know. They're going into the fire and you're going to use them as a byword, as a curse for the people. Why? Because they did not pay attention to my word, declares the Lord, that I persistently sent to you. They would not listen. Why? Because they have done an outrageous thing in Israel. They have committed adultery with their neighbor's wives and have spoken in the name, in my name, lying words that I did not command them. I am the one who knows. I am witness, declares the Lord. So God says, these guys are adulterers and they're speaking words in my name I didn't tell them to say. God knows how to deliver the righteous from judgment and the wicked to judgment. We are called to be good students, to be able to understand the difference from one to another. There's one more, verse 24. To Shimei of, uh, of Nehelam, you shall say, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you have sent letters in your name to all the people who are in Jerusalem. So <clears throat> these are guys who are in exile, false prophets in exile, who are writing letters, this guy in particular, writing letters back to Jerusalem. And to Zephaniah, the son of Maaseiah, the priest, to all the priests, saying, The Lord has made you priest instead of Jehoiada, the priest, to have charge of the house of the Lord over every Listen, over every madman who prophesies to put him in stocks and their necks, <coughs> excuse me, their neck in irons. Here's the letter Shimei wrote. Why? Jeremiah. I just die? Why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth, who is prophesying to you? For he has sent to us in Babylon saying, your exile is going to be long. How long did Jeremiah say it was going to be? Seventy years. That's right. Your exile will be long. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. So they didn't like that message, the exiles. And so this guy from exile wrote a letter back. So Jeremiah wrote a letter back to him. Right? Here's what you've done. Zephaniah the priest read this letter in the hearing of Jeremiah the prophet. That's how Jeremiah knew. The guy who received the letter read it to him. Jeremiah said, oh, let's send another letter. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Send to all the exiles, saying, thus says the Lord, concerning Shimei of Nehilim, because Shimei has prophesied to you that I, and I did not send him, and has made you to trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will punish Shimei of Nehalem and his descendants. He shall not have anyone living among the people. He shall not see the good that I will do to my people, declares the Lord, for he has spoken rebellion against the Lord. So the Lord is saying, look, here's what's going to happen. This is what's going to be accomplished. He's letting them know, look, I know what you've said, the things that you have declared. And so Jeremiah, uh, the prophet, writes this letter out to him and he describes to him uh, the things that are going to take place. And so he says to him, look, here's what's going to happen. You're not going to have anyone who will be among uh, these guys, no one who's going to make it. Shimei of Nehalem, you're not going to come through. This is God's judgment. This is what is going to take place. Why? Because you will not receive the word that God has spoken. You won't hear it. You won't trust it. So as we come to this Understanding, we come to this section of scripture that talks about what's God's word to the false prophet. How's he describing to us the path of life and the path of death? For the captives, the path of life, build, live, grow, be imagers of God. The path of death, 
turn a deaf ear to what God's word says. And you find yourself on the path that leads to destruction. God says, I know the thoughts that I have toward you. Thoughts of peace, shalom, wholeness for your good, right? Not for your evil, not for destruction, to give you a future and a hope. How do we lay hold of that promise? That we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to his people through his word. Amen? Why don't you stand with us? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time that we can spend studying coming to look at the word God I pray that Lord you God as we really seek your face your glory Lord Jesus that we can lay hold of your beauty so many ugly things in our world and I imagine for those who were in exile it was the same taken out of the place you knew a home you knew to a land that doesn't look like the home you grew up in. And in a lot of ways, that's happening in our world today. We look around us and our world is changing before our eyes and we can hardly recognize the place we grew up in. But God, you said that all of these things were were part of your plan so that we would not put our hope in human government, Lord, but in you. So, God, I pray that we would lift our eyes to heaven and certainly make sure our fingers are not in our ears. That we would fulfill the purpose for which you've called us. You tell us, even if we are in strangers in a strange land, you call us to pray for the land, pray for its peace, pray for the leadership, to open up our hearts in prayer, God, that you might move. And Lord, to be listening to your word and how you might instruct us. How can we be imagers of what you give us, Lord? How can we rightly reflect the glory of God to the world around us in such rebellion? God, may each of us come to a place where we understand that message of repentance and faith that's a call that begins in the house of the Lord where we like Daniel say Lord uh, the exile it may be, may be coming to an end Lord what would you have me do who do you need me to be who can I image forth your glory before today Who can I disciple? Who can I share with? Who can I teach the things that Jesus taught me? Because that's how we increase in the land and don't decrease. That's how we build homes and live, plant crops and eat. God, may you lead us in the path of life May we hear the words to the captives and walk in obedience to you. And may you be glorified in and through it all. In Jesus' name, amen.